Therefore, brothers, or brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, do keep that open in front of you, and we're going to look at that together. Uh, At the moment, because we are relatively new as a church family, for the first five weeks, we're looking at what it means to be a church that cares. So my hope is that we will be a church that cares, but also will be known beyond this building as a church that cares. That is really important. And last week, we were thinking about being a church that cares about sharing the love of Jesus Christ. This week, we'll be thinking about what does it mean to be a church that cares about spiritual growth and spiritual family. What does it mean to grow in Jesus Christ and keep growing in him? And what part do we play together in that? We sometimes think about it about ourselves, but what about our brothers and sisters here? How do we encourage them? How do we spur them on in love and good deeds? So that's today. And then the following three weeks, we'll be thinking more about what it means to be a church that cares beyond these walls. So what does it mean to be a church that cares about this community? What does it mean to be a church that's full of compassion, that cares about people in need? What does it mean to be a church that plays our part, small as we are, in the great commission to reach this world for Jesus Christ, beginning here, then to our city, then to the region, and then to the wider world as Jesus taught his disciples? So that's where we're going. If you didn't get one of the little cards last week, I'm waving air. There we are, one of those. Then there are some of those which have that all on there and the program on the back, including um, our church prayer meeting on the 4th of February. So do make that a priority. Half past nine in the morning, we'll be in the back hall and we will be praying. So if you can be here by half past nine that day, please do. Um, So take one of those with you if you haven't. But for now, let's get into this passage of Hebrews. I want you to imagine that we get to the end of this morning's service and you take it upon yourself to think, I know what I'll do now. I'll walk to Temple Meads, buy a train ticket to London, jump on the tube, go to Buckingham Palace, and I'll go and see the king. I wonder how close you think you could get. I don't know, some of you are quite daring. I mean, me, I'd be stuck at the gate. That would be, I would try and talk to the guard, I'd get no further. Some of you, I know, would be more daring. If you set your mind to it, you'd be in. The gates would swing open for someone else and you'd try and get in there and across that forecourt and then you've got the three arches in front of you. You'd have to pick an arch and take a dash for that. Then you'd be into the court behind. Then you've got to try and find an open door and somehow go through that and then into the building. And then if you manage that, you've then got to locate the king's private quarters. And once you got there, you've then got to find him. How do you think you'd get on? I don't think you'd get very far at all, would you? One time, I was about as far as I am from Joe to the then Prime Minister, Theresa May. And because security didn't know who I was, three people with guns had them pointed at me. 
hadn't done anything threatening. It was just to make sure I didn't take out the Prime Minister. I mean, you can see, looking at me, how dangerous I must be. I don't think we'd get far, would we? I mean, I know sometimes, on special occasions, people here have been into the palace. I know you can book a tour. I know that Fathers for Justice, do you remember them? Managed to get on the balcony dressed up as superheroes. They weren't really welcome guests, were they? But they were there. The truth is, the palace is set up to say, you can come this far, you can look, but you can't go any further. You're not allowed in. Um, Maybe you can go so far, but no further, on a special occasion, with a pass. And you know, the Old Testament temple operated in a very similar way. God, by his spirit, dwelt in the very heart of that temple. The king of kings was present. That's where he dwelt on earth. But all the way, there were barriers to people getting anywhere near him. So the temple was surrounded by a wall. It's actually on a mound. I've been there. And if you're a certain type of person, you couldn't even enter the complex. You had to remain in the streets outside. Most of those people, for various reasons, were declared unclean, and they were beggars. And you could go no further. Then if you were not Jewish, if you were from any other nation, as most of us are, you could step inside into the furthest outer court and no further. Then if you were Jewish, you could go slightly further again, and Jewish men slightly further again, and the priests into the holy places, and then one man, one day of the year, the high priest could step into the Holy of Holies where God dwelt by his Spirit and experience what it was like to be in the presence of the King. To ignore those rules was a bit like my Theresa May moment, but one step worse. Because it was under pain of death that you went no further. So on the next slide, there's a picture And it's of a stone that's been retrieved from the temple from Jesus' day. Um, So that's now in the uh, Istanbul Archaeological Museum. Here's what it says on it. It says, No stranger is to enter within the balustrade round and the temple enclosure. Whoever is caught will himself be responsible for ensuring death. That was the warning. You're allowed in this section, but you overstep. You go further than that, then you will be responsible for your own death, which will happen next. I actually understand that on that day when the one high priest went through this huge barrier, a curtain, which was 20 meters high. I don't know how high this building is. I'm not good at guessing. You can have a guess. But the curtain was 20 meters high. I'm not even two meters tall, so more than ten times the height of me. It was ten meters wide and several centimeters thick. And it was there to make sure no one stumbled into the presence of God or could see in inadvertently. And the one guy who went in, I understand they put a rope around his waist in case he died while he was in there so you could haul him out without stepping over the threshold. All the way through the Old Testament, God desired to be among his people. That's why he's in the temple. That's why he's there. 
I will be their God and they will be my people is the repeated mantra of Scripture. But here's the thing. To be in the presence of a holy God is profoundly dangerous for people like you and me. We've completely lost sight of this. That the God who made the universe is holy, holy, holy. There's not a trace of evil in him. There is a pure light and love in him which is actually dangerous to us like moths to a flame. Burn us up. Scripture says our God is a consuming fire and he has not changed. So how is it that when we read through the letter of Hebrews and there are these few verses we have here this morning, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we the ancestors really matters. Really matters. If you want to know why, speak to me afterwards. But do you remember the Jewish temple? Men could go so far and women so far. And men could go further than women into the temple. It's not true now. So it matters that it's brothers and sisters since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. That would have knocked the original fearers off their seats. You're all still in your seats, so you're not knocked off. We're used to it. We've got familiar with the idea of drawing near to God. But what's changed? How is it possible for people like you and me? We're no better than the people of old. We've still got the sin virus running through every cell of our bodies. So how do we draw near? Why are we not burnt up? Why are we not here under pain of death? What's changed? And the scriptures say one thing and one thing only. Jesus Christ has come and he's died for our sins. Look at what it says there. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, nowhere is out of bounds. We can talk to God in our homes. You maybe did that this morning before you came here. Maybe you talked to God in your car as you were driving here. He was with you then. Maybe as you've been in this building now and Jess has so helpfully led us in the first part of the service, you've been very conscious of the presence of God. When you go through in a moment to the back hall, God will still be present. We can draw near to him, even in those moments. When you're at work tomorrow, whatever you're doing on a Monday, God will be with you there. You can still draw near to him. Why? By the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. The God who made this universe, the God who is holy, 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 the God who's full of light and love, came into the world as one of us. And he did so not just to be an example, not just to be a great teacher, although that man has changed the world and our country forever. No. He did it to sacrifice himself for us. He died on the cross for me. He went there for all the times this man gives in to temptation and sin. He did it for all the times I'm unkind, all the times I speak to my wife like I shouldn't speak to anyone. 
but I do because I feel somehow I can. All the times I lose my patience with my children. All the times I wasn't a good employee. All the times thoughts pop into my head that I'm so ashamed of. If anyone knew them, I wouldn't have a friend left in the world. He came for me at my worst. And he died on the cross for you in that moment. If only you will trust in him. And in doing so, look what he did. He entered a new and living way. There's a new way to God that wasn't available before Jesus came. Hebrews is big on this. And he quotes the prophet Jeremiah. If you want to, you can turn back a couple of pages in your Bible. It'll also be on the screen. So it's chapter 8. And it's beginning of verse 10 if you want to follow along, but you don't have to. It says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I'll put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God has actually drawn a line under that. And so as we look at this today, we can draw near because we know that our God welcomes us. Everything we need has been done for us. He's given us a true heart and a conscience that's sprinkled clean. And our bodies matter to him. Don't just think it's about what goes on in here and here that matters to him. All of us matters to him. None of you here, thankfully, are disembodied spirits. You're all here in body. And we serve with our hands and our mouths and our feet. We've been accepted as whole people into the presence of God. And that's a wonderful thing. Imagine this. While I'm stood outside those gates of Buckingham Palace, a car pulls up. The window winds down, and inside it's Prince William. Maybe on his way back from seeing Kate in hospital, I don't know. And he wants to pop into the palace because he wants to update his dad on what's going on. Do you think he gets in? Do you think he's going to be treated the same way as me? Of course he isn't. The gate's going to swing open. He's going to be shown where to go. He's going to be hurried along through, particularly if it's urgent. His dad will probably drop whatever he's doing because he wants to see his son. You see, it's different. He has a right to be there because his father is the king. And you know, Jesus Christ has a right to be in heaven because he is the son of almighty God. But here's the amazing thing. He's, through his death on the cross and the new and living way he creates through his death and resurrection says to you, you can come in too. You have unlimited access the same as I have. And I don't think any of us really believes that but it's what the Bible says is true. Can you imagine if you went home and on your doormat you ripped open an envelope and in it was a pass that just says you've got unlimited access to Buckingham Palace. 
Just go where you like, have a look around. If you bump into the king, it's fine. Don't panic, everything's sorted. You're, you're a welcome guest. Imagine if you just thought, oh, I can't really be bothered. I'll put it on the mantelpiece. I'll never actually use it. I mean, it's nice, but I mean, London, it's quite an effort, isn't it? You'd be a fool, wouldn't you? You'd have missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime to actually go somewhere where most people can't go and to meet people that most people can't meet. And whether you're a monarchist or a Republican, at this point, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's just the experience. It's going to be amazing. And yet, brothers and sisters, how foolish we often are that we have the great privilege of drawing near to God any time, any place, anywhere, and we don't take it. You can even be here this morning and not drawing near. You can be here with a hard heart. You can be here in a way that just is going through the motions. You always come here, but really, really your heart, your mind, your love, your affections, they're all somewhere else. You're just here. Can I tell you this? There is no prize for just turning up. It's not school. There's no register. You don't gain any brownie points with God just by turning up. It's where our heart lies. And the amazing good news here this morning is each of the instructions we're given to draw near is accompanied by an encouragement, and it's this. He welcomes you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how much Satan might be screaming at you this morning, you are not worthy. He welcomes you through the blood of his son and he loves you like no other. And you can draw near. If your trust is in Jesus, he loves you. And he wants to see you this morning. He wants you to open your heart to him and tell him how much you love him and how much you want to follow him. That's the first amazing thing here. When it comes to spiritual growth and spiritual family, it only happens as we draw near to God, only. The second thing that we see in this passage, the second commander is to hold fast because our God is faithful to you. One verse. Let us hold fast for the confession of our hope to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Command, let's hold fast. Why? He's faithful. So we need to hang on to the hope that we have in Jesus, the confession that we've made that says we really believe this good news. We really believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came into this world, who died on a cross for our sins, who rose again and is now ascended as the great high priest in heaven. We believe that and we hold on to that and we tell others about that. And that isn't easy and it wasn't for these people either. Again, a little bit further on in this chapter, if you want to look at it for yourselves, verse 32 The writer to the Hebrews is saying just how tough things were and are going to be for these Christians. He says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being uh, publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion, one of our values. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves have a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. 
This wasn't written to people who had it easy. This was written to people who had it hard. If I went back and found my house had been taken by the state today, I would be miffed, to say the least. These people lost what they had because they followed Christ. They considered their homes, their possessions, those sorts of things of limited value. I think we have a lot to learn from that. But the writer of the Hebrews says it's going to get worse. You're actually going to shed your blood. You know, it was very hard being a Christian in the first century. One example, the Emperor Nero used Christians as human torches for some of his parties. He put them on sticks, set them on fire, and lit the parties with Christians. You know, we may face some limited persecution. People might be nasty to us. They might write nasty things on social media. We may have lost friends. My faith has cost me friends. But we're not where these people were. We're not, not yet. There are brothers and sisters in the world who are, but not us yet. Maybe not us ever. We don't know. So they were suffering, and the writer here says, don't get blown off course. Just hold on fast. What you've got is that good. You made promises when you became a Christian, right? So God made massive promises to you, but you said, Jesus, I see you as my Savior. You died on the cross for me and my Lord. You're now the one who's in control and running my life. You're the one I want to trust with everything. I read an amazing story this week about a little boy. I wrote his name down because it was so amazing. Little Martin Rowe from Georgia in America. When he was six years old, he was on a tractor with his dad. My boy Oscar was driving a tractor from Romania this summer. It looked like a lot of fun. But this wasn't a lot of fun. The tractor rolled. Now heavy machines. And little Martin Rowe was caught underneath it. It crushed his arm, damaged his other arm. When they took him into hospital, they amputated one of his arms. It took him a while to recover. And he overheard his parents say this, I don't know how we're going to pay the hospital bill. They'd racked up debts of 32,000 during the time he was in hospital. Let me just say, in all honesty, thank God for the NHS. This family were facing destitution. Little Martin, with one arm, said, don't worry, I'll pay it. His parents thought it was an empty promise. But as soon as he got out of hospital, he started picking up bottles off the street and taking them to somewhere he knew he could get a coin for each one. Within a few months, he'd raised $400. And then he found out he could get the same for cans. So after school, he would go and collect cans off the street and get the money for them too. Two big American firms heard about this one-armed boy collecting these things and agreed that he could have all their scrap aluminium. Five years later, aged 11, little Martin Rowe went back into the hospital where they kept his bill, and he paid it completely. 
Little Martin Rowe loved his mum and dad. And when he spoke, it wasn't an empty promise. That six-year-old figured how he was going to do it, and it was sheer hard work. I'd like to say that I'm like little Martin Rowe, but I'm not. I'm a man who makes promises and breaks them. I'm a man who promised at 17 years of age to follow Jesus Christ all the days of my life. And the truth is, I'm a pretty rubbish disciple. I'm pretty much like the guys you read about in the Gospels, who get it right, and then they get it wrong, and then they get it right, and then they get it wrong. I love this verse. Hold unswervingly because of what? Because you're that sort of guy? You're a woman who could have been in the SAS in a different life? No. Because he is faithful. My confidence of heaven, my confidence of making it to the end, my confidence of making a difference in this world is not based on me, but on him and his faithfulness. He has made unbreakable promises signed in the blood of his son to you and to me. He is faithful. He'll never break his word. So if you put your trust in him, you can know that you're going to make it to the end. Not because you're good, but because he's faithful. Lastly. church that cares about spiritual growth and spiritual family will not just draw near to God and hold fast to that confession, but also focus massively on encouraging one another. Look at these last two verses. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as some, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If you're confused, the day there is almost certainly the day when Christ will return and gather all of his family to himself. So another instruction here and another encouragement. So gather together, encourage one another, because one day soon the king is coming for his own. That's, that's the gist of this. So having said there's no register and there isn't, Having said there's no prize for just turning up, and there isn't. Actually, if you love Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you say you're a disciple of his, then actually being here should be something that we want to do, that we make every effort to do, that it's a priority for us to be present as the family gathers. Not to neglect that, not to give up doing that. If you're able, why not come on a Tuesday evening and get deeper into relationships with others in this family? Get to know them. Everything's on catch-up these days. You're not going to miss a thing. In the old days, it was tough, especially before video recorders. We genuinely miss things. Not anymore. You can come on a Tuesday, and hey, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you can catch up. So don't neglect those things. Come. 
And when you do come, remember, it's not a show. You know, I'm going to see Wicked. I thought it was this week, but my wife tells me I got the date completely wrong. You know, I'll go and see that show. I'm not an active participant, thankfully. If I was, it wouldn't be a very good show. You might have gone to see Bristol City yesterday. I mean, thoroughly fed up when all the goals went in in the first 25 minutes. You might have a strong opinion on how City could have played better or who was best out of the cast of Wicked. That's fine. It's not fine here. Because this isn't a show. And you're not passive. You are very much part of what's happening here this morning if you know and trust and love Jesus Christ. And if you're here and you're not yet in that place, you're also very welcome. But these guys who say they love Jesus, it's got to be seen. It's got to be shown. It's got to be known. And here's how. Because before they came through those doors, here's what each and every one of us should have been thinking. Because of what it says here, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Can I say this to you gently but firmly? If you walk through that door and you say you're a Christian and you didn't do that and you know this verse, you've sinned. Whether you knew it or not. Because you should have been considering as you came in here, how am I going to spur others on in here today? If you came here with any other motivation, I'm here to worship the Lord. Ugh. You neglected what the scriptures say. No, you're here to consider, to have already considered how your influence in this place is going to spur others on in love and good deeds. And either you're going to play your part this morning or you're not. You can be a massive discouragement here today. You can do damage even here today. You can do that when we gather here. You can do it when we gather online. You can do it in informal interactions or when we gather formally as a family. You can do it in your home. Every time you're with another believer, you have a choice. You have a choice. And the amazing thing is the Lord can use you and me, broken as we are, to actually spur others on in love and good deeds. It's a lot of effort, but it's well worth it. Why? Because he's coming soon. He's coming soon. He is. He's promised. And he's not going to forget any one of us. My best friend at school is a guy called Matt. Matt's one of the most intelligent people I know and one of the most forgetful. One day, he and his wife went shopping. And uh, Matt finished his shopping, drove home, made himself a cup of tea, and the phone rang. You can see where this is going, can't you? It was his wife, wondering where Matt was. Well, by that point, Matt was at home with a cup of tea. And she was still down at the shops. So Matt had to go and get her. Can I just tell you this? Our God is nothing like Matt. He won't forget you. He won't leave you behind. There isn't a day when you're not on his heart and in his mind. 
He set his love on you before he even made this world. And every day of your life, he's ordained to bring you to this point where you put your trust in him and love him for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, let's draw near to him. Let's hold fast to the gospel. It's great news. Let's encourage one another. And let's look forward to that day where we're all gathered around his throne, singing praise to him, serving him with joy, being brothers and sisters for all eternity in the presence of the King of Kings without any threat to our happiness and joy because he who's promised, you know what? He is faithful and he'll do it. Amen. Father God, we come to you in different states here this morning. Lord, I pray particularly for those here who don't know you. Lord, I pray that in these moments they would see that Christ came for them and put their trust in him. Father, for those here today who are just full of joy, I pray you bring fresh encouragement to them. For those here who are struggling, for those here who feel sad, for those who maybe are depressed, Father, I pray that some of your pure love and light would break into that darkness and bring your joy and your peace, your comfort. And Father, I pray for us all that as a church family we would encourage one another, even in the following moments, encourage one another to love you more, to love one another more, to love even our enemies because you are so good and to do the good works you prepared in advance for us to do. Father God, we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.